anytime you do a purpose journey, you have to work at two levels. You've got to work at the engagement of the organization, which is really listening to and empowering them. You've also got to work with the leadership team because at most companies, the leadership team is one of the biggest barriers because I've made it because I know the answers. I'm successful, so listen to what I tell you to do. And how do you get people to be focused more on shaping what they're creating in the future together with the organization as opposed to them managing a business in a silo and delivering their numbers? That was the voice of Tom Malnight. He took time to speak with me from Lausanne, Switzerland, where he serves as professor of strategy at IMD Business School. We live in a time when time-tested business practices are all of a sudden being called into question. The same goes for strategy, that nebulous part of the planning process that asks you to take a 30,000-foot view, then bring it down to actionable outcomes. The fact is, there are as many theories on strategy as there are organizations in need of one. Some take it seriously, employing high-paid consultants to produce thick and colorful playbooks that are then left unopened. Others try to make it sound simple. Remember Jack Welsh, GE's notoriously outspoken former CEO? He once famously said, and I quote, In real life, strategy is actually very straightforward. You pick a general direction and implement like hell. That might have worked during the 1980s and 90s. In fact, by all traditional measures, it did work. GE's revenues grew five-fold under Welsh's leadership. Today, however, running a business is more nuanced. Stakeholder capitalism is far from straightforward. Just how strategy has changed and how companies are failing to adapt is the subject of this week's conversation. And wouldn't you know, corporate purpose is playing a big part. We'll get to it, but first, a word about our sponsor, Quilt AI, a mission-first technology company that helps large organizations use the internet more purposefully. It's looking to reverse fractures in society and generate empathy while helping organizations understand their consumers and beneficiaries much better. They give time and money to causes they care about and in service to people and planet. Inside Asia is pleased to be associated with Quilt AI. For more information, do check them out at quilt.ai. Now here's my conversation with Tom. Professor Tom Melnight, thank you so much for joining us on Inside Asia. Thank you for having me. I like to uh, speak to you as somebody who's a professor of business strategy about changes you've seen and the way that corporations think about strategy. What can you say about that? Okay, first of all, let's let's just go back a little bit. I mean, when we when the best way to think about how thinking about strategy has changed is actually to think about how our frameworks for strategy have changed, which really kind of give us the tools to think about what is strategy. And really, there was a, there was a plethora of, of frameworks that were launched in 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s, which unfortunately still impact our thinking. Hmm. Remember, how many times, Steve, have you done SWOT analysis? Too many times. Yeah. Way too many times. Welcome to the 1960s. <laughs> um, okay, but the, trouble, the, the thing is, is it was in, introduced then, but it's still not used well. It's a great framework. But the trouble is, is when we talk about it, we say, okay, what are your strengths? Oh, our people are our strengths. Our brand are our strengths. We don't really use it to challenge our thinking. It's really just kind of something that we have there. And, and when we talk about what are our opportunities and threats, it's really just kind of looking at our world today from inside our company. What could they be? They don't really look at the big issues. You know, so, so is that because they've misunderstood it? They misunderstood what you mean by SWAT? Or is it just they're, they're feeding into it um, the understandable aspects versus the, the things that are not understood? What you have to look at, Steve, is that companies have a tendency today when they think strategy, you think inside out, today forward. 
And the challenge we're going to be talking about through this whole thing is how do we start to think outside in and future back? Hmm. I mean, just too often today, what we're going to find is that companies are really trapped in formulas from the past or trapped in investment costs or trapped in things that they've done in the past, as opposed to thinking about what they're going to do to get successful in the future. You know, so really one of the biggest things we, I hope we're going to spend some time talking about is how do we free up the energy and the mind space of executives really to think about what kind of a business do they want to create for the future, not how do they protect the past? Well, Tom, why is that? I mean, they, you, you raise a really interesting point. So much else has changed. Technology, operations. I mean, we have how many different frameworks and changes have we had on processes, you know, business, business process change. And what, why is strategy caught in the past? What's going on with that? Well, remember, okay, remember there's a couple of other frameworks we should go through. One is, you know, how many, do you remember your industry analysis, your five forces industry analysis that was there? I feel I'm back at school. I like it. Well, no, you should be. But the yeah, thing is, my memory. but that assumes that industries are stable and that there's lines between industries. Hmm. But that's our thinking. Because even if you go today, that thinking of industry still takes forward today because people say, what industry am I in? You know, and they think about how do I fight for market share in this old industry? So, so a concept that goes back a long ways is still impacting how we think. How about your, your core capabilities? Remember those? I do indeed. It's like, it's like a, a, a walk back in time. But I mean, no, but the trouble is, is these are still the things we think about, right? These are still the elements that think about when we talk about strategy. But we're talking about in the past, they used to be kind of a stability that was there. Industries were stable. Capabilities were stable. The thing that's happened in the last 20 years is everything has started to become much more dynamic. Remember, we started to talk about this VUCA world, this volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world that we're in. All of a sudden, things started to change rapidly. And what happens is that companies that are really still trapped in these stable formulas, as opposed to these dynamic formulas, are the ones that really get trapped. And you put on top of that, which even makes it worse, is the short-termism, you know, the, 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 the obligation to deliver quarterly results, you know, that, that also just it strips out the ability of companies and executives to think, to think strategically, but also to think about you know, where they're going to go and, and what they're doing. So we're, we're really dealing in this world that's focused so much today on protecting the past as opposed to shaping the future strategically. And most of your, your re-engineering frameworks that you're thinking about and things like that too, they're, they're still internally focused. They're focusing on optimizing what we do today, not creating the future and not shaping the future. You know, where does growth come from today? Growth doesn't come from fighting for market share in old mature industries. Growth comes from creating markets. You know, what is, where does growth come from? Does it just come from, from making a better product or having a bigger impact? You know, growth comes from creating a market, from creating impact, not the traditional lenses we had on what makes a business and what makes a strategy and how do I deliver my short-term quarterly results? Yeah, it, it takes me back to the mid 1990s when I was at Price Waterhouse as a strategy consultant, and we were called in to do nice, tidy, thoughtful, uh, illustrated strat strategic decks that laid out a five, ten, sometimes even fifteen year plan against which everybody would applaud and be happy and celebrate in the possibility. And where would it land? Up on the shelf. And nobody really deployed it as a strategy. They took inspiration from it, but it didn't feel like it was a working, living document. 
uh, today, uh, the impression I have, Tom, is that many companies have even thrown the whole idea right out the window. They haven't. They don't even think about it. Think about. They think about tactics, or they think about responses, or they think about agility. There's different languaging around this. Where along the way did strategy get lost, and how do we bring it back in a meaningful way? See, first of all, I don't think strategy's lost. I think the ability of executives to think strategically has has been lost. Oh, great point. And, I think, and a lot of it has to do with your old X days of being a consultant and old us days of being a, an academic of trying to pitch that we have the answers. Hmm. And you know, what we, when, it's, it's funny because when you work with companies today, the, the amount of passion and the amount of creative thinking that exists in the companies themselves is so high, but it is so shut down. <laughs> Because we're not used to we're not used to engaging and listening to our employees. We're used to you know what we do is we send out a smile sheet. We call it an employee survey, right? And people say, "Are you happy or not?" You know, people. You know, we listen. We we don't we we say we're going to empower our people, but we put so many controls, top down controls, and hierarchy controls on. I mean, what as a as someone who who has you know had a lot of years working with companies, the passion and the power and the ideas are inside of the organization. The problem is that the leaders are the ones who trap them, and who hide them and don't bring them out, you know, and 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 actually disregard them, which is even worse. You know, there's I can't tell you how many times we've had discussions with you know doing a survey inside of a company talking about what works and doesn't work and things like that, and executives will say, I know exactly what I should do. But I know if I want to meet my objectives, my metrics, I have to do the exact opposite. Right. So the right. way we manage employees, our, the way we manage people in our companies today shuts down their passion, shuts down their ability to contribute. And that's where we get trapped. And that's really the problem we're facing. So is, so is this because of the imposition of the system of shareholders or Wall Street or your investors to say, I need and expect a certain result. And therefore, as long as you get that, you know, everything else is nice to have, but, you know, don't bother me with it. Or is it because time is a factor? Now there's no beginning or end to a week or to a day. And, and therefore, there's just not a t- enough time to debate or extract or explore what the larger or broader organization might bring to bear. I mean, first of all, you're, you're right that the, the short-termism and the short-termism through the, the, the shareholder fiduciary responsibility is a big issue. But the thing is, I can also tell you as many times as we work with family companies, they have the same short-termism. So it, it's, not, it's not just the shareholders, but there is a logic about this. I'm successful if I deliver my quarterly results or my results and things like that. As a, and the thing is, is people, you know, people don't recognize that the metrics, financial is just an outcome. It's not a goal. Financial, financial results should be the outcome of you actually having a strategy of, of meeting a need, of growing, of creating value. And by the way, if you do that, what do you do? You deliver your financials. But when the financials become the objective, that's when we shut down people's brains. That's when we, shut, that's when we move them into a tactical point of view. And the thing is, is remember also, Steve, one of your debates we've also oftentimes had in the world of strategy in your, in your PwC days do you have, what's more important today, short term or long term? <laughs> you know, the, the trouble is, is both of them are. Yeah. But, but, but both of them are. But the reality is, is that the weight goes to the short term and not the long. And the trouble is, is the companies who are too in a dynamic changing world, the companies who are too focused on the short term don't keep up with the changes that are happening outside. <laughs> 
And, and I guess equally it's true, those who become too strategic or overly focused on the long term miss the near term opportunities and make it gazumped. And also, or say either that or they go, they hit a wall before they get there, right. or, or even worse, you're right, what they do is they, they, long-term strategy is not about exiting your core. Good companies never exit your core, but you transform your core. Your, tour, your core is your base that you're working from. But I can talk to you company after company that we worked with, that when you look at the core, what are the wasted resources that exist inside of a core today? It's not just financial. It's also the time of people. It's the yeah. mindset. So what are we wasting today when we're having this short-term focus? We're wasting time, resources, mindset, and really the energy to grow. So in the short term, yes, we've got results, but we also have to free up and transform this capacity to get ready for the long term. Because if you don't, you're going to be stuck in the past. How did we get here? What happened? What changed along the way? I think what happened, first, the, the, the short-term the stakeholder thing really had a significant impact. And, that, and, that, and then I think we had too many consultants and academics running around with answers. <laughs> and I think what we've taken away the ability of is really to tap into the creativity and passion and energy of our own people and strategically. Because I think strategy is moving closer to the desk and it's becoming more dynamic so that it's not, you know, every step you take creates an opportunity. So you're dealing in a space of learning and opportunity as opposed to execution. And, and I think when you're dealing in a world of, 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 of options and learning and energy, it needs to be more, it's not like you do a strategic plan. You're on, like when we talk, we'll talk later about purpose. Purpose is not a plan. Purpose is a journey. Purpose is not something that has a set of metrics that you're going to deliver one year, three years, you know, all of those booklets that we used to put in, on our binders. That's not how we measure them because we measure it through creating learning and we're creating options and staying ahead of a changing market as opposed to kind of what, okay, what's your results? You know, that, that, that's not the metric. And you've tapped into something and we will return to it in just a, in, in just a bit. But, and that's it. Everybody is rushing to figure out how do I measure and monitor and report my results versus how do I get in the right mindset to begin with in order to make the changes occur? That's what I'm seeing. Are you seeing the same oh, thing? Very much. I mean, was, once you define metrics, you shape behavior and you shape yeah. what people do. And the trouble is, is that's why that's where, that's where the danger of the financial metrics come along because realize, let's just talk again about the difference between short-term and long-term short-term metrics oftentimes are dealing with things that are known. And a lot of the metrics for short-term are more financial given. Not just incremental financial driven, but they should be you know, significant, you know, step-changing financial as well. But when you deal with longer-term initiatives, there the objectives are not financial. The objectives are, for example, learning or creating an option or building something new or building a platform or these types of things. So if, if you take long-term initiatives and measure them by short-term metrics, you kill the long-term. But it's very uncomfortable for companies to say, I have a different set of metrics or my metrics are not financials, they're, they're learning. And how do I manage in that environment? And, and particularly when you're managing those longer term initiatives, we call them marathons, but that's fine. When you manage those in the longer term, that they're really about a much more dynamic way of interaction and learning and change as opposed to the short term, which is much more about an execution mindset. Yeah. Do, do you have an impression that in some ways, some executives are saying, if we measure this, I can avoid the flack I'll get by actually investing in purpose in a thoughtful way. And therefore, I'll be able to stave off 
any attacks I get from people who are more quantitative or financially driven? I mean, one of the okay, we have um, a lot of the work that we're doing now on purpose with companies. Actually, one of the key things is is actually to share it directly with the board of directors. Because I think also when our experience has been that even boards of directors are looking for more long-term thinking inside of companies, but, you know, not the classic, you know, formula type of long-term thinking. Mm. I mean, but when you get down to, and when we get down to really creative long-term thinking about how we're going to change and redefine a company, that actually, there is an interest in that because that is where you're going to get the growth. That's where you're going to get the profitability. That's where you're going to get the impact. That's where you're going to meet all of these discussions that we're hearing in this, in these worlds today, you know, and, but the question is, is, you know, that that's not as easy. You don't just hire an outside, you know, somebody to come in and give you this, this booklet that you put on the, on the shelf. It takes real work. It takes real thinking. It takes time. It takes energy in order to do that. Let's come back to what you've said a couple of times, which I think is really important. I don't want to lose this, is that this idea of the, the power of your own people, the internal knowledge and passion and interest, enthusiasm that exists, and, and the fact that it's been buried or, or, put, or kept under thumb for reasons which we can discuss. What does that look like, Tom? How, how do you actually extract that and allow it to kind of make its way and flow through an organization? What we, I mean, first of all, when, when we work with companies, I mean, all of these things for me about employee surveys and things like that, again, those are smile sheets. We're asking what we want answers to and things like that. We're not listening to them. And the real challenge is when you're engaging an organization, it's not about, you know, giving them a questionnaire. It's really about engaging in dialogues with them because, and, and giving them the opportunity to, to hear and be heard and to learn and shape and things like that. We say, think outside the box, but then we never give anybody time to do that. You know, blah, blah, blah. We heard that. I mean, when we work with, with companies, the first thing we start off with is what we call a diagnostics phase. And it's really, it's really quite challenging because you actually go off and interview, you know, 30, 40, 50 people in the company and you run a series of, list, of, of listening workshops where you give really people the opportunity to talk. And you, you don't give them answers. You know, you, the, the listening workshop would start off with something like, tell us what's working today and why. Tell us what's not working today and what are the barriers you know, what's your ambition for the future? You know, and what, what would, if you really wanted to move faster, what would you need to do? Not from the top, but you talk to people in the organization and the answers you get from them, you see, you can feel the passion that they have for the organization. But then the biggest challenge is you turn these diagnostics and you take it up to challenging the leadership team. And because the leadership team is not necessarily comfortable hearing some of the comments that come out there. Yeah. You know, I, I can remember in, in one company, we actually went to the leadership team and we said, you know, based on the results of our diagnostics, you, know, you have to realize the company is succeeding in spite of you, not because of you. <laughs> Hard to hear. Hard to hear. But it's also real. But then you actually go back in the data and the leadership teams themselves are also looking for direction. Leadership teams are also looking for where are we going to go? They're looking for I mean, most leadership teams basically are sets of silos. You know, each, each executive running their business, or their area. And, you know, and th- this idea of, you know, you ask, what's the collective accountability of the leadership team? There's not usually. What's the collective agenda of the leadership team? There's not one. You know, you can't expect the rest of the organization to be aligned and working together if the top team is not. So, you know, once, once we start, you know, once you start working with them, then you say, okay, what are the issues? If I'm going to engage the organization, what are the issues that matter? And, you know, typically we'll come up with, you know, from, with a leadership team, you know, four or five different topic areas, you know, but really fundamental issues that are about the company, mm. you know, and then what we would do and what we find to do is, you know, take some people in the organization and let them go off and learn, 
you know, we have a divergent phase that we that these people go through, you know, and what they do is they go off and they visit. And, and let's just say the topic is customer centricity. How is it changing? You know, go listen from other companies. Don't do tactical within your own organization. Go learn, go learn what's the best about, about customer centricity or disruptive innovation or data as a, ta- as a strategy or, you know, purpose as a strategy. You know, learn outside and then bring it back in. And once you learn, then challenge your own organization. Don't, you know, and, but use your own people to understand it and learn it. Well, you're raising a really interesting point because, uh, you know, engagement is a big problem, even more so now with COVID, where you find these numbers and these surveys and a lot of employees are saying, I feel detached, I feel disconnected, I'm not sure I'm aligned with the company, I'm not around in groups anymore, I feel a little bit like removed. And so I'm hearing you say this could be a double-edged benefit by not only going and tapping the knowledge and insights and capabilities, but by virtue of doing that, re-engaging your people to participate in the growth and the future strategy of the organization. It's not just to participate in, it's to feel that they're contributing to. Employees today do not want to be executors. Employees today, actually, more and more, and and I don't care if this is just young or media or what age, I don't, this age group difference, I don't usually find it. Um, they, they want to contribute to creating something. And why? A, why? Why do they want that now and they didn't necessarily want that before? They did before, but I think it's becoming stronger. And I'm not, and it's a good question about why. You know, and I, and I, haven't, I don't have a good really answer yet in terms of why, but it's, it's, it's I think it's always existed. But I, yeah. I think that it's, I think now there's the frustration of not having been listened to for so long or being put in these, in these areas are, is really bringing it out more. You know, but I think, I find that, People care dramatically about the company that they work for. And if they don't care, then they basically, you know, then, then they become much less effective in contributing. I mean, do you want people's time or do you want their passion? You know, do you want them as an executor or do you want them as a thinker? Do you want them as a creator or do you want them as, you know, as something else? You know, where, where we get the power from our people, you know, is really from what you know when we tap into this energy and passion and creativity but the trouble is is so many of our systems are we have such a mindset of control that a predictability of 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 all of these things that we were talking about before that we really just sap the energy out of our own organizations yeah yeah you you did a study about 10 years ago uh, you made some interesting discoveries uh, interviewing a group of high growth companies from around the world. Can you tell us what you found and what's come from that? We did two studies, actually. A first study we did was we actually went off and interviewed 150 CEOs around the world. And basically it was about, that was all focusing on what are you doing to shape the future of your company? And by the way, I think about 30 of them, 30, 30 to no, 40 of them were from Asia. <laughs> So, you know, a lot of 150 was fairly significant. And we basically, talking to the CEOs, we came up with basically three big challenges that they face. The first challenge is, I mean, this ability to rethink the future. I mean, because so often we're so trapped in, a, in again, internal view of the organization that people talk about, you know, people will list the trends, but then you say, okay, what does the trend mean in terms of how the world you're operating in is going to be fundamentally different in five to 10 years from now? And what are you doing to get ready for really rethinking that future? The, you know, the second one really had to do with, had to do with redefining what the ambition is. And ambition, I mean, both what and why. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it, there, was this, there was this logic of saying, 
is our ambition only financial or is it something different? I mean, how in this changing world, what does success look like for us in the future? And really coming to grips of what success looks like. And the third part was really about reshaping how you work because you can't separate, you know, future strategy without organization as well. You know, and, and right now, you know, even how we work, you know, even if we, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure going forward when we talk about purpose, reshaping how you work with customers. I mean, do you focus on a customer as a transaction or a lifelong relationship? You know, do you focus on how you work today just as kind of this execution short-term mode or do you look at it differently? You know, so that came out of there. And then we did a second study where we looked at 35 companies across different industries that had, these companies had a five-year CAGR in excess of 30%. And we were really trying to understand what were kind of the factors behind that. And we came up with four factors. A first factor was kind of outside-in thinking, which is predictable. That means just moving away from this inside-out to outside-in, really kind of being, being ahead of what's happening in your markets as opposed to constantly reacting to it. A second one was ecosystems thinking. This idea that, you know, that companies can do everything themselves and they have to own it and I have to control it as opposed to I'm part of this bigger system is also something we found you know, is very limiting. The third one was disruptive innovation which was really kind of, you know, being disruptive or being disrupted. I mean, it's a choice. Mm-hmm. And the fourth had to do with purpose. And purpose was the one that surprised us. Yeah, why did it surprise you? Well, you, you, you didn't know it wasn't coming up in dialogue or it was just early days or it seemed too sentimental? What was it? Well, I mean, for purpose, remember, okay, there's three different levels of purpose. There's many different lenses that we have when we think about purpose. So mm-hmm. remember, first level of purpose is, is kind of individual purpose. So individual purpose is kind of, it helps each leader by what are you, what's important to you and how do I actually define your own purpose and your purpose working with other individuals. So it's very much of an individual element. And so individual purpose has been around for quite a while. Um, purpose, purpose from a, a second lens is really from a marketing strategy point of view, which is really, okay, about my business today, how do I deepen relationships? How do I build relations about my business today and things like that? What we came up with purpose was from a strategy point of view. And from a strategy point of view, we are looking at how does it take shaping the actions and decisions of a company over time to fundamentally redefine the business and the value proposition and the relationships. So when we were looking at purpose, it wasn't kind of the classic definitions of purpose that existed. It was kind of looking at purpose strategically. Okay. And how does it transform a company? How does it change the business? That's where, that's where we were surprised because it really became an important lens for strategy that we, that we found as opposed to just kind of a marketing or an or a, or a individual leadership app, you know, activity. It, can you give us an example uh, of an organization that was embodying that? Yeah, you know, in the, even in the, in the HBR article, which we, we sent you, and I've tried to encourage others to read if you haven't, one of the examples we use is, is, is Mars Pet Care. Now, Mars Pet Care was a successful, it's a successful company. You know, most people think about Mars as a chocolate company. It's actually bigger in, in pet food. They, they, at that time, they were very much about, um, you know, dog food, you know, and they had a small the veterinary operation. But then, then the question started to become, okay, what their purpose was really, how do we make the world better for pets? Because I actually believe pets have an impact on society. You know, pets have an impact on, on people, on on. on comfort, on empathy, on loneliness. There's so many elements that really pets impact our society. So how do we make the world better for them? And what they did is they really took that seriously. It's not just food that makes a difference. You know, they also, then they expanded very much in terms of building pet health as well. And they started really building a pillar on pet health. 
And then they started building a pillar really on how do I make pet ownership more convenient? How do I make pet, pet ownership, you know, make pets, you know, pet cities more real? How do I take this whole life? If we believe in pets, it's not just selling dog food. It's actually, how do I make the, the pet healthier and the pet owner life better and things like that. But by doing this, they redefined their business. You know, on the core business, their food, they went from kind of traditional food, going to individual food, nutrition, really kind of using that to redefine even their core. But then they built this pet health model. The pet health model combines veterinary and food together. It's not two separate pillars. It's how do those two work together to create something? And then you add in on top of that pet ownership, you know, and, and how do I grow pet ownership? You know, that's where you start to see this multiplier coming into play. But by doing this transition, you know, Mars, it more than, in, in more than doubled its business and it more than tripled its growth rate. And because, I mean, it, it, because it was getting in touch with what the end user really wanted versus what I have to sell. Exactly. And because what impact I can have. Mm. You know, a lot of it is not, it's not just about me, what I can sell. It's fundamentally, how can I impact? How do I impact the life of a dog? How do I impact the life of an owner? How do I impact the life of a, you know, of, in a city? You, yeah. you, you shift from focusing inside out what I do to selling it in a transaction to relationships. I mean, one of the things that was most interesting for them was a change in even how they thought about using data as part of this transformation. Because you know, typically the way you use data is what I do is I measure transactions, performance, cost efficiency, and things like that. They started to ask questions like, what's the lifetime value of a pet? You know, and, and where are the value points throughout the pet's life? And where are the needs throughout the pet's life? And how can I actually serve those needs? And then they created what they call the customer journey value map. So you know, where am I impacting the pet throughout its life? And what types of impact? And where's my impact footprint? And they started looking at things like different types of business models. How does, what types of different business models does it create to create this impact? And how do I make, how do I make this a stronger science care, scientific basis for actually driving pet and driving pet health and ownership and things like that? So they took all these different lenses by using data that reinforced kind of this belief that they had. Tom, this must be overwhelming for your traditional sales guy who just said, hell, I just sell pet food. Well, you know, well, why are you now asking me to kind of think about the life, about the value chain of a pet and, and, and the value it provides in the whole bit? It, 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 must, it must require an organization to get inside and help people understand that it's okay to go ahead and be a bit imaginal, to go and explore some ideas and not be held accountable. I mean, is that what it takes? And, and then at the end of the day, for these strategies to work, they have to be nailed down. There's got to be stakes in the ground and then you've got to work it back. Tell me how you get that organization from old school sales guy to new innovative, think outside the box. Let's do a thousand things instead of three things. You're there, Steve, you're wrong because the passion actually to make those changes is actually in the people and it's just letting okay. it down. I mean, okay. you never want to work for Mars Pet Care if you don't love pets. You don't even want to go there. But because they do love pets, the, the people that they're attracting to their business, to their industry who want to contribute to this and be part of it is, 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 is amazing. You know, the, you know the, their ability to be an attractive employer is, is just shooting through the roof. But I mean, it's also, and it, go do some time, go on Mars the executive team website, and you'll see all the pictures of all the top executives there. <clears throat> and there'll be a senior, senior, you know, serious executive, serious executive, serious executive. And then you'll see Paul with his dog sitting there. 
you know, because it's a belief, it's a passion. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when, remember we talked about bringing your passion back into that, bringing your passion into what you're doing, but it's not just pet food. I mean, I can tell you other examples. We did a work with, with a dental company and, you know, is dental company just kind of helping a dent, you know, helping somebody go to the dentist? No, it's about somebody's confidence. It's about somebody's ability to feel, you know, confident of themselves. It's not about just dental care. It's also about oral health. That's how do I help people stay ahead? You know, it's about something there. Let's go to another industry. Let's go to tractors. I mean, a tractor is a tractor. You know, just, is it just making, you know, the questions I asked, do I just be, can I make a cheaper tractor and can I add a few more things? No, the purpose of a tractor is to help farming and nutrition. So how do you get people thinking about not just adding a feature onto my tractor, but how do I help? I think about how do I make efficient farming? Or how do I help contribute to sustainable nutrition? That's what people believe. And that's what people want to contribute to, not just reducing the cost of a tractor by 10%. Well, maybe this is where something has gone awry. Because if you think about the roles and responsibilities that have been meted out by organizations to individuals, you do X in the back uh, in, in, in the back room with accounting, and you got to make sure those numbers add up each week, and then you can go home. How do you get a person like that to say, no, it's more than that? Are you suggesting that every person who, who takes a job is doing it for in order to be part of the purpose of that organization? Aren't there a large percentage of people who are just in it for the paycheck? And if so, how do you inspire them to think and act differently? But that's where I, that's where I remember I said before that I think that when you start to release passion, it actually increases. Okay. We work, we're working at, at, at one time now with an, an insurance company, you know, and it's not necessarily a leading edge industry. But I mean, all of a sudden you start to talk to these people in the insurance industry, but how do you get people, people to think about how are we dealing with mental health issues today because of all of these, these issues that are facing us today? You know, and, and how, do you want to make a policy or do you want to basically help people's lives? Or think about things like, you know, we're experts in risk. And how do I take, how do I take my expertise at risk and not use it as just a saying yes or no on selling a premium to help, a live, help, to help people live in a more dynamic world and in a challenging world? You know, this is where you do find the passion of people, but you've got to give, you can't just impose purpose and say, okay, I'm changing your job now. Can you just all of a sudden think about risk? You've got, that's where, remember before we talked about engagement, people have to be engaged in the process of defining it. It can't be you or me as a consultant or an academic coming in and saying, this is the answer. No, they've got to be part of creating that answer and being owning it and actually be part of contributing to shaping it because that's where you build this engagement and ownership to go forward. It sounds like it's the way you ask the question to people within the organization to draw from them what they really care about, where they can really get involved and where they, where they could do something about it. Because it's at the end of the day, it's almost dangerous if you raise people's expectations to say, we can and should be differently. You, you generate some excitement, people are, are re-engaged, and then you don't deliver. So how do you bring that all the way through the system? Is it a matter of connecting individual purpose with organizational purpose? So therefore, you're giving some uh, time and attention to every individual to say, where can you and do you feel like you might like to play a role here instead of imposing the idea, boy, it sure would be great if you participated in this way. You realize, first of all, purpose at most companies still, unfortunately, today is words on a wall. Hmm. But mission, purpose, mission, person, yeah, yeah. blah, whatever they want to say. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're not they're, they're basically looked at with cynicism and things like that. 
But you know, when we when we talk about purpose and where it actually becomes at the core of strategy, that's when you actually start to say, no, it shapes actions and decisions for going forward. And we're going to engage our people in our organization around it. And we're going to make hard decisions and choices about what it takes to do that. You know, so it's really part of this thinking and engaging. But anytime you do a purpose journey, you have to work at two levels. You've got to work at the engagement of the organization, which is really listening to and empowering them. You've also got to work with the leadership team because at most companies, the leadership team is one of the biggest barriers because I've made it because I know the answers. I'm successful, so listen to what I tell you to do. And how do you get people to be focused more on shaping what they're creating in the future together with the organization as opposed to them managing a business in a silo and delivering their numbers? You know, so you have barriers at the top, you have barriers in the, in the middle part of the organization. But remember, the big, one of the biggest powers of purpose is breaking all of those holding on to the past formulas that we talked about before. You know, because so much of our organizations today, I mean, how much are we focused on complacency in organizations? How much are we focused on, you know, the sunk costs that we spent before and how do we get returns on sunk costs? You know, how exhausted are organizations with just initiative overload? You know, because everybody, we just keep launching initiatives without any idea of where we're going. You know, this risk, this risk aversion. I mean, there's so many things that we do in companies today to hold them back. We need something to get them to be energized and believing and working and going forward. Mm. You know, and and it's, again, it's never exiting your core business, but even rethinking your core business about what you really want to do and where you want it to go and how do you free up time, resources, energy? How do you start that bigger impact on the core? You know, all of those things are really strong for an organization. You know, Tom, you've uh, again raised a really interesting and important point here, which is uh, if you think about it, um, over 30, 35 years, those people who are running major organizations around the world got there by acting, behaving, performing a certain way, which is based on this old model. This model of, you know, to succeed is to basically be aggressive, is to get to the top, to demonstrate that you know and they don't, and the others don't, you know better than they do. And then it's almost unfair to some degree to then ask these same people who've been handed the gauntlet to say, there it is, congratulations, to say, oh, by the way, now you fundamentally have to rethink and change who you are, how you operate, how you engage, uh, and by by the way, your, your job's on the line. How do you get these people who've been um, you know, placed into that mold um, to, to break the mold and think differently, particularly when it comes to purpose? When we, when we talk about engaging executives and executive team, remember we were talking about engaging teams to go off and learn and bring it back. One of the key things we do there is actually have sponsors on the leadership team. Mm. Because the thing about, the thing about top executives is they're really actually quite a lonely job. And there's not really a lot of time for them to think and experiment because you have to know the answer. You know, you, you're, you're, you're getting paid this high salary, so you should already know. But how do you give CEOs and how do you give top executives also the ability to think, to experiment, to, to option, look at different kinds of scenarios and options and think them through together? You know, we don't give those executives also the time to think. So how do you, as part of, of a purpose or what, you know, whatever else you're doing on strategy, how do you give the executives also the time to learn and to think and, 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 and to explore? Because by learning, I mean, you know, the, the, this again, when we, we just finished a, 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 something with, a, with a, a dental company, the biggest, big, the best session that we had with that team was actually the leadership team where they came together 
and actually agreed on something about a path for their business to go forward and then shared it with the board. But they, you know, if you look at what happened during a period of time for them, you know, give your executive team the ability to think outside in future back. Give your executive team the ability to, to think about, you know, shaping the future, not just delivering today. Give your executive team also. And what is their passion? You know, what is their path? What do they believe? What's important to them as individuals? What's important to how they're going to define success? Because the success of a leadership team is not just having delivered budgets. The success of a leadership team is having changed the company and creating something better than they took over. And there's the rub, time and investors. The two entities which actually are creeping in on every senior executive's life and says, well, you need to take more time and pay more attention and ask better questions. And by the way, where's that report? And where are the results? And where's your quarterly (laughs) result? And where's your quarterly result? Yeah, yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. So it does suggest to me that boards have a role to play here and boards as, you know, being on top of the organization, guiding it with thought and wisdom and integrity would say, we understand that we're going to have to probably take a little bit of a haircut here. We might, you know, lose a point off our, our, off our uh, margin, but if we just allow the team to go and do something on the side, we will get a multiple, uh, a multiple on this if we do it well. is, Is that a fair statement? Does that seem to sound right to you? If you talk about something like purpose, purpose is a critical enabler of long-term growth and long-term profitability. Without understanding the why, without having impact, without the things we've been talking about, you can't have, you know, if you're just fighting for market share, you're fighting for profitability, optimizing current business, that's not a long, that's not going to provide long-term growth and profitability. It provides quarterly, but not long-term. If a board doesn't own you know, this ability of where we, you know, we're going to deliver today, we're going to be hard in doing that, but that just allows us to play the game. You know, short-term allows you to play the game. It doesn't allow you to win. The whole thing is how do you actually kind of create this, you know, where we're going and how. Purpose, if in terms of redefining the business, the value proposition, the relationships are critical enablers of long-term growth and profitability. And that's where the board has to take a responsibility as well. Tom, I feel re-educated. I will never think about strategy the same way again. I thank you so much for your time, your thoughts, and uh, let's keep talking. Let's keep talking. Thank you very much, Steve. That was my conversation with Tom Malnight, professor of strategy at Swiss-based IMD Business School and a clear advocate of the power of purpose. Our conversation is a wake-up call for organizations and leadership teams that still think the old way of doing business is good enough. What Tom is talking about is an overhaul of the corporate mindset. It seems unfair, really, particularly for senior executives who have achieved their current status by doing things one way, only to be told to do things entirely differently. At the pointy end of any organizational agenda is strategy. That used to mean taking time out at the beginning of each year to plot the company's relative strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. That fateful SWOT analysis was, in theory, a way to cover your bases and plan your next move in a marketplace that at one point in time was challenging but largely predictable. My, how things have changed. If you're still practicing strategy the old way, it's time for an upgrade. A new set of practices and principles are displacing the traditional notion of what good looks like. Careful planning, cost controls, and financial incentives to motivate your top team are no longer enough. 
In the new world, agility, risk, and lateral thinking are the stuff of strategy and ultimate success. The markets are presenting us with example after example of how companies that challenge their own existence and enlist and empower their own people are the ones that rise above the fray. Tom says that strategically, what matters today is summed up in four key factors. First, outside-in thinking, which means anticipating market demand, not reacting to it. Second, ecosystem thinking. It's about greater reliance on partners and resources that sit outside the organization. Owning and controlling every asset makes less sense now than ever before. Third, practicing disruptive innovation. In Tom's words, you can either disrupt or be disrupted. Last, and what proves most surprising, is purpose. Not the let's all feel good and make your employees happy variety, but rather the kind that goes at the heart of what makes the organization tick. Getting there means committing to a process that unearths and embraces the best ideas from one's own people. That sounds simple, but it's shocking to see how few organizations actually take the time and initiative to find out what people really think. And even those that do fall short when it comes to then putting those good ideas to practice. Today's organizational paradox is this. Not enough time or attention is given to people who have the potential to bring a strategy to life. And yet, failure to take time will almost certainly ensure the organization's demise. Now imagine this. What if by taking the risk, investing in a process, and seizing upon a common purpose that motivates and engages employees, an organization can achieve new heights both in the contribution it makes and in the profits it generates? If through this effort the world gains a more purposeful and meaningful corporate player, then you might say everyone wins. Pipe dream? Perhaps. But the one thing we know about human capital is once activated, there's no holding it back. People are the power behind the machine. Technology and processes are mere enablers. Nothing has changed here. We simply forgot that the most critical part of any successful business is the people. Maybe it's time to get that back. Still not sure? Then heed the words of Peter Drucker, pioneer of modern management theory. Culture, he said, eats strategy for breakfast. That pretty much sums it up. Thanks for joining us here on Inside Asia. Please share this podcast and others with friends and colleagues. We have over 180 episodes available on our website or wherever you search for and listen to your podcasts. Everyone, free of charge. All you need to do is subscribe, and each week you'll be alerted to a new installment, highlighting a topic or trend that shows how corporate purpose, sustainability, and 21st century thinking are stacking up to guide Asia's future. Prefer reading to listening? Then subscribe to the Inside Asia newsletter. Visit us at www.insideasiapodcast.com. Leave your name and email address and start receiving weekly updates that highlight key points from the discussion, provide links to additional insights and articles, and reference earlier podcasts on related subjects. As always, we thank you for listening. Music